And welcome back, everyone, to episode 30 of the Drunk Friend Podcast. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Travis, way over there in Albuquerque, Alex. Alex, how you doing, buddy? It's been it's been two weeks. I haven't got to talk to you in a while. It seems like your voice sounds different, like I don't really know you anymore. I don't... <laughs> yeah, I went through puberty. Jesus. Uh, how's it going, Trav? <laughs> what what's going on over there? Yeah, my voice changed. Yeah, yeah. okay. You sound like the... T- the, 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 the uh, was it the pimple-faced teenager from uh, The yeah, Simpsons? Yeah, The uh, Simpsons. Here, here's your taco, sir. Whoops, I dropped it. Yeah, it's, I used to be able to be... Uh, the, to nail that voice when I was in high school. It was a it was a running gag, but yeah, no, I I, I sound the same. I think do you, you sound the same? You're the same, no, Trav. All right, fine. and you, you're still playing stuff like Phantom Fighter, which I had no, I'd never heard of that. I I had no idea that game existed, and it looks. I'll be honest with you, that game looks really boring. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really interesting, but it also the gameplay is like that's all you do is just like one on one fights yeah. with these guys that have the same patterns, and. It's it, you just keep going with that same stuff until you until you don't anymore, and that's the game. Yeah, it, yeah. It, that's is that it. accurate? Yeah, I mean, I will say their patterns vary enough to infuriate you. I think the game would be better oh, okay. if they didn't have varying patterns. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it was kind of you know it's a boring uh, repetitive game, but it is interesting, <laughs> and that was the that was the thing about it. There, you know, the the hopping zombies is is something that you don't really think about. I enjoyed le- learning the history about it. Uh, in, in case uh, you're not getting the hint, audience, uh, Trav did a video on this game. Oh, right, uh, not, of uh, earlier this week. I don't think I mentioned that. So, but right. I, th- I think our audience is is more. More than smart enough to figure that out by them by themselves. I hope but so. Like, since that's what we do um, on this thing called a podcast. The the funny thing about that video and and, and the the product of the research was the Kianchis, which I'm probably saying wrong. The the hopping zombie things. I started noticing after I did that video and learned like, oh, that's what those things are, and oh, it's it's an actual folklore thing. I see them in a lot of games now. I saw them, you know, they're in. Um, the Super Mario Land on Game Boy. There's these little hopping guys. Really? That, those are the uh, Kiyoshis. Someone posted a GIF today in response to my tweet about the video that looked like it was from another video game. I didn't even recognize what the video game was, but it was clearly one of these things in that one. And then I was playing um, uh, Kid Dracula, and there, there are enemies in that too. So um, they're pretty pervasive, and they're, they're probably in a ton more games I've just never noticed before. But if you see a zombie hopping with its arms out, that's Kiyoshi. <laughs> that's, that's what that's yeah. all about. I'm pretty sure they're in the Goa Goemon games. I don't know the right way to pronounce that, but Go-mon, the, the yeah, Legend of Mystical so. Ninja games. I'm pretty sure they're in that. I'm pretty sure they're in Ghosts. Uh, what the hell is that game called? Ghost Drifter Mikami or whatever it's called. <laughs> now I have to look it up. That just sound, that sounds like a thing. great anime. Whatever it is, Ghost. Yeah, it's an anime game basically. Oh. Ghost. What is it called? Ghost Sweeper Mikami. Oh. Jor- Joraishi Ha Nice Body is the subtitle of that game. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure they're in that game, too. Long story short. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, I mean, Phantom Fighter, sure. It was kind of phantomy and spooky, so I put it I put it in the old October lineup. But I had a better one out there over the last couple of weeks. I did Gargoyle's Quest 2, which ranked in both of our top 13s. So yeah, that game's awesome, and the Game Boy games are awesome too. The the any I, you inspired me to check that game out again uh, earlier this this past weekend. It just makes me shake my head at Demon's Crest. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. I was unable to shut my critical thinking 
crap off. Because I'm just like, why all Demon's Crest needed to do was make the temporary flying thing the, the same thing. Instead, it's just you press the B button twice and you can fly as long as you want anywhere. In Gargoyle's Quest 2, they're very clever about the timing, uh, about uh, structuring things in a certain way so you just barely make certain jumps. Um, I thought that's really it's really well done in that game. And I thought your video really highlighted uh, all that's good about that game and why it is a top 13 NES game. No, thank you. Yeah, and it is it is super awesome. You make a good point, though, and I think Demon's Crest suffers from this because it's maybe on the Super Nintendo and there were higher expectations, but I feel like all mm. three of those games really kind of court the RPG uh, genre a little bit, and they don't... I feel like they could get into it a little bit more if they wanted to. I think it... They they try a little bit with the upgrades and and yeah Demon's Crest especially I feel like there's some things that it could have done to make it just a little like another layer deeper and it would have been yeah. great but it just it kind of stops short it doesn't know whether it wants to be like a lighthearted adventure or a hardcore side scroller like it, it's kind of on the fence between a few different things but um but God right. damn it looks great that's the thing I like about it yeah it, it looks, looks really awesome good. and you you brought back some myths myths <laughs> how do you say it myths <laughs> myth eye yeah uh i i was interested in the yellow super nintendo thing because i've heard so many people over the years say it's like oh my dad smoked or whatever and it's like nope that's not that's not why your super nintendo's yellow although my mom tells me a story of um when she was growing up in her house um both her parents smoked like chimneys (laughs) and her uh ceiling and wallpaper in her house was like that same yellow color which is just gross to think about and uh my dad when he first started his job back in the early 70s um at his location he said people just openly smoked at their at their desks yeah and the the ceiling was completely you know a sick that sickly yellow color isn't that crazy to think about can you imagine just sitting there at work and people just smoking just puffing on a heater yeah the the at work thing the at work thing is is Definitely weird, but I, th- I grew up in a home with smokers, and and a lot of mm. my things turned turned yellow and weird, and but not your Super Nintendo. Actually, I didn't have a Super Nintendo growing up. I was a Genesis kid. But I'm wondering though, do you think? Now I know you you dispelled the myth completely. You said it. You know, it was it was it's a an element that's in the plastic that causes it to yellow. But is there any chance that like the smoke speeds that up or anything like that? I mean, is it just age? Possibly. Uh, but yeah, no, it's bromine in the mix bromine, of the plastic yeah. that uh, oxidizes, kind of like how a, a fruit would. Um, okay. Once you know the inside of the fruit is exposed to oxygen, it changes ah. color. Gotcha. But okay. uh, I, I, I can't take credit for knowing that though. Adam Savage of, of MythBusters was the guy that that. Well, I mean, it's his website uh, is the one that uh, went over that myth. I think it was back in like 20, 2011. You dispel all these myths on your own. You went, you got a, you got two packs of Marlboros and got your Super Nintendo out and smoked all weekend in front of it, trying to get it Marble to Reds. Let's be clear here. The, it's like smoking Marlboro Reds is like drinking like straight whiskey, like like Jack Daniels whiskey. It's so they're so bad for you. And see, that's why you sound different to me today. You smoked two uh, whole packs of, Mar- of of menthol lights and. Now I'm going to sound like Tom Waits. <laughs> oh, Bernice was putting the chairs up on the table. You're going to get Caleb J. Ross excited. He loves Tom Waits. That's the last <laughs> thing we need around here. That was for you, Caleb. <laughs> 
in some guy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> going to start going off on this. Let Tom wait to go, man. Let him go. No, no, no. So, yeah, and that was a really fun video. I, I like those videos. I'm curious, though, when even after you did maybe the first couple, I don't know if you expected to get to four. Now you're at four. Are you scraping for myths at this point? You're going to have a fifth one? I have no other myths. Okay. Um, if if I do another video like that, it'll be for like NES or Genesis or something like that. We'll have to start some myths. We'll have to start getting some. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. There's this guy that started this, this rumor about, uh, you know, Shaq Fu being one of the most rare games on the Super Nintendo. I don't know about that. You know, I don't know. There's actually a. a a game store near me, for some reason, I guess for a joke, uh, has a Shaq Fu, just a plain old Shaq Fu, not signed or anything, in a case for a million dollars. I don't know why. I think it's just for people to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. But you have another one that's coming out. I haven't seen it yet because we're recording this on a Wednesday. You're going to release it on a Thursday. But I'm excited for your, for your video on Forsaken 64. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, it's an interesting... Uh, interesting game because it's um, something that I really should like because it's a make stuff go boom game. Uh, it's pretty much a descent clone if you remember descent. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much the same thing only you can move uh, in 360 you know you can move anywhere basically. The game is okay it's mission based um, it still has a lot of graphical stuff you got to get around the camera isn't the greatest but what really makes the game fun is multiplayer because it really is just deathmatch like find each other oh. make each other blow up and it works that's what the nintendo 64 did the best was multiplayer stuff whether it yeah. was you know mario party or uh smash brothers or mario Gold. kart diddy kong racing any of that stuff GoldenEye. i mean it, golden eye especially golden eye yeah. yeah but no and forsaken should be considered uh not alongside those games as just as fun but it's still pretty damn fun with another player it's it's a it's a good time because it, it really is just mindless, you know, seek and destroy. There's all sorts of different maps, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, if you like Goldeneye and you like that sort of action, then uh, and you like the N64, then Forsaken's worth checking out for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the the cover for that one was always weird to me. I don't. Oh, it... yeah. I talk about that quite a bit, too. Uh, OK, yeah. cool, cool. Because, yeah, I was always confused about what was going on there. She is not in the game. The, the woman on the cover is not in the game. Imagine that. Okay. Yeah. So, her and the guy from Phalanx are somewhere like, what? You should have been It's in the funny game. you say that because I bring that guy up. Too. Ah, nice. <laughs> I've, I've watched too many of your videos and we, we, we <laughs> talked to him. Um, cool, cool. So, yeah, so that's what you can get out of some Nest Friend and Snest Drunk this week. Uh, so, or over the last couple weeks even. So, that's cool. Uh, let's get some, we got some emails finally. I was a little disappointed we didn't get any angry emails. We, we said these are the best 13 games. On the NES, and we listed probably close to 20, uh, and no one was mad at us, and that's either no one's listening, which is possible, or um, everyone agreed with us, and we're exact, we're, we're right. It's one of the two. Well, yeah, and well, like we said at the end of that podcast, we didn't mention a single NES RPG, and I'm guessing those people are still busy grinding away at <laughs> meaningless battles and leveling up uh, to, to get back to us on an email. Uh, yeah. They're probably just... Sitting there, zombie-like, in front of their TV, in front of their CRT TVs. Yeah. You know, in Dragon Warrior 2, just like, uh, and, you know, fighting their 4,000th battle in the last hour or so. <laughs> so, you know, they, they got their priorities straight. Yeah. I'm sometimes that guy, but um, I'm not mad at us, so I don't have to worry about it. 
Okay, so some emails. The first one here is from Spell Dragon from the SNES Drunk Discord. He says, yes. what's, what's your favorite game that you've beaten in 2020? Generally, that means to get credits rolling, but you be the judge. For me, it was Ogre Battle 64. It took over 100 hours. It took over 100 hours, but I finally finished it, and now I'm bummed the franchise is dormant. You guys are great. Thanks for everything, and thank you, Spell Dragon. Thanks, Spell Dragon. Yeah, Alex, what uh, what's a game you've beaten here in the in the year 2020 that you've uh, enjoyed most? I think my favorite is probably uh, it's Mario 3D Land for 3DS. Um, I'm just, I'm still cracking away at those special levels that you unlock once you finish it. I've got all but one unlocked and I'm not going to lie. I kind of hate what the game does. It makes you get, go back and get those star coins. You need 290 of them to get this last one. I think it's, that format is fine. But uh, once I saw that 290 pop up, I'm like, come on, that's too many. 290, do 275 or something sensible, (laughs) that 290. So I got to go back. I think I'm at like 283 or something like that. So I still need to find seven more that I've that I missed along the way. So that's ugh. so I can't even unlock that level yet. But once I do it, I'm, I'm sure I'll I'll spend a lot of time on that. Uh, what's something you've beaten? Uh, yeah. So for me and and Spell Dragon, you're giving me an opportunity here to plug another show, which is the Polico podcast, where I talk about all the games that I beat all the time. It's It's basically what the show is. And it's supposed to be comedic. And if that, you know. If it's pitiful and not funny to you, you should listen to it because you care. And if you think it's hilarious, you should listen to it because it makes you laugh. But um, <laughs> it'll probably be somewhere in the middle, to be honest with you. So the two games I think this year that I've beaten that I've enjoyed the most, and I'm, I said two. I know you didn't ask for two, but I can't separate these two in my mind in terms of how much I enjoyed them. One is Yakuza 0, uh, and the ah. other is um, A Plague Tale Innocence. And, and those are both... Uh, somewhat recent games. Uh, of course, well, I say somewhat recent because mainly we talk about things like Phalanx and Phantom Fighter on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, Yakuza Zero coming out a couple years ago, and and A Plague Tale Innocence maybe last year, I think. Uh, both of those are great. I really enjoyed those for completely different reasons. Yakuza's got a great sense of humor. It's basically a modern day uh, third person beat 'em up. It's just so good, so well written. The story's very good, and uh, A Plague Tale Innocence is. I don't know. Pretty riveting stuff. Um, I don't know if anyone hmm. else, if you've ever played it or, or heard of it, Alex. But uh, it's it's sort of a I don't know. I guess this is like medieval, and um, you're a girl, and you're you have your brother you're trying to protect, and people are coming after him. He has a special power or something. He has some some special ability that they want, and uh, you have to protect him through um, the ways that you engage in combat. Have to be you know, you're a kid, so it's very sneaky. Like you. You throw a rock and run around the edge of a bush, or maybe you use your slingshot to do something. So you're kind of underpowered. That's the whole point of the game. But it's very oh, good. I see. It's very you're, good. You're overmatched like crazy. A little bit like Ghosts of Tsushima, where you can't just go Rambo on everybody. You have to plan your routes, basically. Yeah, right? for you the most part, just, it's pretty yeah. linear, I think, uh, probably comparatively to, to Ghost of Tsushima. But it's it's still really good, and it looks it looks fantastic. Mm. And I think both of those are on Game Pass, so. If you right have an on. Xbox, you should, you know, you can play them. But that's for me. That's how I'm. That's how I'm doing uh, in 2020. Well, you're doing it right. I think you've brought that game up before, the, probably the latter. Yeah. And uh, I know you've brought up Yakuza Zero before tons of times, and I, I really need to play that because it looks hilarious and awesome. It is. Um, now we've got uh, another email from Robert August De Meyer. Rhymes with fire is what he says, <laughs> and he says he calls you out. He drops your punk card. Oh my god. Says gosh. yo, Travis. 
Secret of Evermore has some great tunes. Indeed, there's a lot of ambience. It even plays over some songs. Dope. But <laughs> if you listen closely, you'll be stuck with a couple excellent earworms. And he huh. proceeds to link six different <laughs> songs <laughs> on the Secret of Evermore soundtrack uh, for us to listen to. And I, I don't... I, you know, back in the, the ye old days of 2013, I complained about the soundtrack, but when I replayed it, I really liked certain bits of it. I thought some of the ambient stuff was kind of eh, but uh, yeah, no, the, it, I do think Robert's right and that it has plenty of really good stuff. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give the links a chance, and I was basing it off a memory that was a couple years old. The thing that sticks out to me the most is the ambience. I don't remember there being an earworm, but again... You know, I need to probably go back and check it out. So thank you, Robert. And I know Austin Wintry did that. Um, I'm pretty sure. Or Jeremy Soule. One of the two. I get those Jeremy Soule is the guy that did Sorry. it. Yeah. I'll be it sure to edit name. it so I sound smart. Jeremy Soule. <laughs> it, it's, it's a name. Yeah. It's a name that did it. So um, a, a big wig. Yeah, that for sure, and I think that's really cool. So I, you know, I'm I'm probably being pretty dumb when I say it's not it doesn't have any good tunes, but just none that stuck out in my memory. I just remember there being a lot of dripping and and knocking and <laughs> and Congo drums, and also me getting my ass kicked, which probably didn't add to the flavor of what I was experiencing yeah. very well. So no, I get where you're coming from though, because uh, my issue with it was like uh, the sound design was mismatched with the uh, the music, in my opinion, where you've got that stupid squish sound oh, yeah. which sounds like it comes out of like a tiny tunes cartoon or something <laughs> and with this like serious dark sounding you know ambient soundtrack and you know a lot of the town themes in the game uh are really good uh okay. especially i think it's ebon keep Eben keep i don't know how to pronounce that correctly but that one's the 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 earworm that gets in my head every once in a while but right on. yeah good so- Good soundtrack, I think. And then he, Robert continues, Yo, Alex, I don't have anything to complain about, <laughs> but have you ever considered giving ratings to games you've looked into? I was just thinking how Wikipedia entries of old games have a lack of ratings to support the critical response section, especially Japanese games, and found myself fantasizing Ooh. about oh, yeah. seeing Snestrunk listed. Oh, and are you folks hyped about the next console war? All your base, cool guy, Robert August <laughs> de Meyer. Rhymes with fire. That's right. And no, I don't really want to do any ratings because uh, it simplifies things a little too much. Um, I just wanted to, um, I, I want to be a little more nuanced than the, a simple star rating. Besides, I would purposefully try and be difficult and be like, okay, this gets uh, eight and a half stars out of 17 and three fourths <laughs> or something like that, just to be difficult. Because, uh, you know, the the whole purpose of the channel was to be... Like, these videos should be short enough that you can learn whatever you, you know, certain things about the game without a rating. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and you, you know, your rating system is kind of there in that, you know, would you play this today? Yeah, any way you can, or yeah, you stay can, away from Yeah, and you it. can always skip ahead to the last paragraph of the <laughs> of the video, so to speak, and, and yeah. find where I answer that. So, yeah. Yeah, I see where he's coming from, though, in that, you know, it's... um. It would be nice if Wikipedia, because I sometimes base a little bit of what I'm going to get into by what the critical reception is. It's not always fair to do that, but I kind of want to know like how it was received in its time. And and there is for some games a critical lack of like 
All right, so did no one just review this game? Did no one really care about it? Like, I, I like right. to know what some people thought about it. And, and the best way to do that is probably, you know, just to quickly look at a number or a number of stars and be like, okay, so it's all right, or it was terrible. So you don't, you know, you don't get that all the time. So I see where he's coming from. But yeah, I think, you know, for, for either of our videos, and I'm speaking for you here on my behalf as well, but I, I don't like the idea of giving a rating because I feel like my own uh, vision of the game sometimes changes over time. And sure. so that, you know, even, even your experience with Secret of Evermore would have probably, your number would yeah. have probably shifted over time. There you go. That's a good example. And I think perspectives are different too, because I, when I think about playing the NES games, I know they're not as good as most of the SNES games. So I'm kind of comparing them to themselves. So I'm like, is it a, is it an eight for everyone or is it an eight on the NES or is it, you know, so it gets kind of weird, but context matters. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. But that was a good email and good questions, Robert. We, we always appreciate hearing from you. Yeah. All right. Um, well, you know, we've had some speedrunners on this podcast before, and uh, these are people, of course, that speedrun video games. But uh, we've not really had anyone that runs, maybe not speedruns, but runs for real. And so we we thought, hey, wouldn't it make a whole lot of sense to get some real runners out here, show these speedrunners what running's all about? <laughs> Our guest coming up is going to be a little different than what you're used to experiencing. Now, we've had some guests on here that haven't been purely gaming adjacent, but we've not really had anyone on here that's not been a creator, a YouTube creator. So this is going to be our dive into someone, and we could do more episodes like this, of people that are just interesting and accomplish crazy things. And so our guest coming up ran 75 miles in a 24-hour period. They ran 24 5Ks. They started every hour on the hour. 24 hours, ran a 5K, and finished it. And, you know, we're all suffering through this COVID thing, and one way I've been able to deal with it is running, and I'm the last person on Earth that would, I would imagine, start to run for fun without anybody chasing me. So uh, it was really nice to hear from somebody that does this for fun and does it really well for fun, and she's got a lot of good advice, a lot of uh, inspiring stories, so I appreciated her having, having her on. Hopefully this interview can motivate you to realize your own potential for running as, as ever far as fast as you want. So coming up next, we have Tara Mildenberger. Tara, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And for Alex and I, two guys that are that have gone sort of couch to kind of 5K over the last several months due to COVID, you're you're definitely a step up, but you're you're an inspiration. For some of the things you've done, especially recently. So thanks so much for taking the time to come on a podcast where nerds hang out to talk about what running nerds do. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I love to talk about running and I love nerds. I'm a nerd, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> Very cool. So just to get right into it, the thing that sparked me and I was like, I got questions for this person was a tweet that I believe your husband tweeted out and you were in the tweet or something like that. You ran a race that was essentially 75 miles over a 24-hour period. So can you tell us more about that event? Yes. Yeah, so that was the um, Pemberton 24, the Festival of 5Ks. And um, you showed up and you had from 7 p.m. on Friday night until 7 p.m. on Saturday night every hour on the hour was a 5k and so you could run as many 5ks or as few 5ks whatever you felt like doing um is what you ran so as long the only real i guess rule or stipulation was you had to be 
finished the 5K within the hour so that you could start the next 5K when it started. You couldn't start that 5K whenever you felt like it. So if you ran the 7 p.m. 5K, you had to be back before 8 p.m. so you could start the 8 p.m. 5K at that point in time. So, um, yep, it was just constant 5Ks starting and finishing over and over (laughs) for 24 hours. That's crazy. So it's like the 24 hours of Le Mans, but with people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it was, um, it was, it was pretty wild. It was, it was a really good time. So it starts at 7 p.m. and Mm -hmm. not 7 a.m. Is there, is there a reason for that? It seems weird to me that a 24 hour, like you're expected to be awake pretty much all day gearing up for this race. And then you're awake for 24 hours after that. So it ends up being an extra long day for most people. Yeah, it was. I um, I had woke up 7 a.m. the morning of the race, which was going to be 12 later starting. Um, and by the time I ended up going to sleep, I'd been awake for, I don't know, almost 48 hours. It was, I don't forget what it was, but it was crazy. Um, so I'm not sure. My guess for why is because it's on a Friday and people have work. And then basically that way, all day Saturday, you could run. And all through the night on Friday too. So that's yes. that's insane that you're you basically you're starting out. It's sort of near October mm-hmm. when you start running your five Ks. You're basically running in in the dark. And these are trail runs. Uh, I'm picturing. Yes, yes. It's a it's a trail. It was a trail. Um, and yes. So you had to the requirement to run any of the night runs was to have a headlamp. So you had to have your headlamp if you were going to be allowed on course at night. And um, the first one was in the dark. I mean, we started with headlamps and it was probably wasn't too bad until you hit the woods. But I don't know if you've ever um, been in the woods, even at dusk or at sunrise, just because it's light outside of the woods doesn't mean that it's light inside. So, yeah, it was definitely um, pretty dark in the woods as soon as we got in. Is uh, weather taken into consideration or is it, are you running no matter what once this is starting? Um, uh, is, well, most is trail like flash races. floods? Yeah. So, I mean, if it was anything severe, basically um, most races like this would be the only time they would cancel or postpone. Lightning would have been a situation. Extreme winds would have been possibly a situation. Anything that makes emergency management not possible is what they will stop for. They don't stop for rain. They don't stop for, you know, storms um, outside of anything severe. But any time emergency management becomes not possible. So if there were flash floods, that could have been a situation. But we did, we did get rain. We had a whole bunch of different weather systems in the 24 hours. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> wow. Okay. How does yeah. that impact you, though, as you're running? Are you like... Is it, you know, to, to bring in the adage, is it water off a duck's back? Like you're just running and it's raining and big deal. You have more things to worry about. Um, so running in the rain doesn't bother me too much. It really used to. It really did. I used to hate it. Um, but it doesn't so much anymore. I, actually, I was so grateful for the rain on Saturday because, as I mentioned, I'm, um, I'm from Maryland. And uh, this was, it was done in Maryland. And the um, humidity was pretty severe. And I knew as soon as the sun came out, it was going to be brutal. So I was so grateful Saturday that we had rain starting like mid morning, I guess. And it lasted until um, mid afternoon, which I, I did not want the sun. I did not want the rain to to stop. And I didn't want the clouds to go away. I really was grateful because there was a huge difference as soon as it stopped raining and the sun came out. So uh, for me, I preferred the rain that morning. 
<laughs> yeah, I bet. I, I, that probably felt great. So this Pemberton 24, is this the first time you've done this? Um, no. Well, last year was the first year for it. And okay. I was actually injured last year. Um, I got injured in September and the race is held in late September. I didn't want a DNF. So I went, so as long as you do one loop, that counts as, because that's all you have to do is complete a loop. So I went to the race and I supported my friends and I had a really great time and I walked four of the loops. So that's what I did last year. I just went and my um, orthopedic doctor said that I could walk. So I went and I walked four of the loops that. So just to be clear for our audience here, you're doing this uh, for fun. You're doing this to train for other events and there's nobody chasing you. Right? <laughs> That's correct. No one is chasing me. It is. I do find it fun. I didn't used to find running fun, but um, I do. I love to run. So, yeah, for me, this right was on. a great time. It was a lot of fun. And I think Alex touched on a thing that actually blew me away in, in speaking to you about this uh, prior to the podcast is that you told me you were like this. You were just using this to sort of train and get prepared for a bigger race that you're you're trying to do coming up. What is that race? So I am um, scheduled to do the Stone Mill uh, 50 miler, which um, distance wise is not obviously longer than than all 24 of the 5Ks, but it's um, consecutive. It's it's a nonstop. So I have a time frame that I have to complete it in. Um, also, Stone Mill has elevation, which Pemberton is um, practically at the beach. So it's pretty flat. I think it was like, I don't know, 10 feet. It's it's crazy how little elevation there really is. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I was using this as training. I didn't really train to do 24 5Ks. I've been training for the 50 miler. and um, But basically everything that I have done to prepare for that allowed me to do all of the 5Ks at Pemberton. So yeah, um, Stone Mill is going to be, it, this year was supposed to be my big, I'm going to do a 50 this year. I've, I've wanted to do a 50 for a while. I just, it hasn't happened. And then, you know, still technically, I'm not fully 100% sure that my 50 mile race is going to be a go. The county where it's being held in my state is still under a lot of restrictions. Um, mm. But it seems very, very hopeful. It's literally one month from today. So oh, wow. um, it, I'm very hopeful. They they seem very optimistic that it is going to happen. But That's incredible. Um, I don't think I've driven 50 miles in a single day since COVID started. <laughs> so for you to run, I mean, honestly, that's, that's super impressive. And I want to go back to this, the 24 5Ks because... And Alex can attest to this. We've been running a little bit here lately. We've been, we, we have a, over in the Polykill Discord, we have a Get Fit channel and everyone's, you know, from all walks of life, literally. It's from walking all the way to people that can sprint a mile in five minutes. And so it's very supportive, very motivational. Oh, that's perfect. Doing, yeah, and, and doing more than one 5K in a day is, is still a, a big deal to me. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I could do one for sure. If you told me to do two, I could probably pull it off. If you said three, I might not make it home. So, <laughs> 24 is still amazing to me. And so I want to know, like, maybe give us some of your history. Like, when did you get into this? How far is it? How long has it taken you to get to where you are? And 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 maybe give um give a ballpark for the, the journey to get to being able to be confident enough to run a 50 mile race. Well, I'm trying to think I. So when I was younger, I played softball and I hate it running. I hate it when the coach would tell us we had to run. I remember in high school doing the one mile run. Remember those things? And my friend oh, yeah. and I would walk it. We walked and talked the whole time. Like it was, I don't know, like a party. So <laughs> I hate it running. It was not something I wanted to do. This would have probably been 
2011 or 12, maybe, I guess, I just felt, I don't know, like I needed something. I needed some sort of physical outlet or activity. And I, um, I was, I'm a homeschool mom and, um, I had stopped my job and I had stopped seeing people (laughs) and, uh, I just felt like I needed something. So I, I guess I read somewhere about couch to 5k, which I'm guessing maybe you've heard of, but it's, it's a program designed to get you, um, from doing pretty much nothing to running a 5k in about 30 minutes is sort of the, the idea. So I downloaded the app and I will never forget the first day. I think it had me doing like 30 seconds of running and then uh, several minutes of walking. And I did that for however long it told me to do it. And I did whatever the app said. And um, my husband comes home and I was like, he's like, what'd you do today? And I said, well, I I started this running app thing. And he started (laughs) laughing. (laughs) And um, I said, yeah, I said, by the end of it, I'm supposed to be able to run 30 minutes. And we both laughed. Like that was the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever heard of in my life. Um, so that that I did. At, by the end of that program, I ran for thirty straight minutes. Which and then I cried <laughs> because I was so excited because I didn't think I'd make it. Um, wow. And uh, so then I I really decided that I I really loved it, and so I ran more, um, but not a whole lot because I couldn't. What I then discovered was I needed. I needed to build strength in other areas. I needed to, um, so I joined a gym and started boot camp classes and started weightlifting and started really sort of um, honing in on what I needed to do to be stronger and to um, have better form and to not fatigue and for my cardio, to build my cardio, those kind of things. So like I said, that was probably, it started in 2011 or 12 and it's morphed a lot. I started, I, I've done the typical path, 5K, 10K, half marathon, 10 milers I did, then half marathon. And then and then when I was training and ready to do my first marathon, a friend said, um, there's this 50K trail race that you might be interested in. And again, I laughed. I was like, I can't do a 50K. That's crazy. That's 31 miles. Jeez. And um, she's like, no, no, because it's this many weeks out from your marathon. And so you'll be ready. And so I was like, Okay. So I signed up on a whim. I just, I, she took me to the Appalachian trail one day we were hiking and she's like, just sign up. So I did. And so then I did my first 50 K in, no, it would have been 2019 was my first 50 K. And then, yeah, yeah. So just last year. And then I did it. I did another 50 K this year and I've done a couple marathons and I don't know, it's, it's all starting to be a blur. (laughs) So this is exciting. So it's like, it's a, You know, I was expecting you to say like, you know, you were a track athlete in in high school. You you had a scholarship in college. You've been running ever since. But the idea that, you know, it's, you know, 2012 wasn't that long ago, about, you know, seven or eight years. And if you really focus on it, it seems like, yeah, certainly it doesn't take very long to go very far, literally and figuratively when it comes to running. Right. Yeah. That's that's what I was thinking, too, is like, oh, yeah, she must be, you know, Went to UCLA on a, you know, on a track scholarship or something <laughs> no. like that. Well, you, you talk about building strength. Uh, and when I started running, I was like you and like most people where it's just like, oh, this is freaking awful. And, you know, <laughs> run slash walking for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute at a time. And then, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it, it took a few runs before I realized that running, you know, I had to change my mental approach and that running is just practice for your next run. 
and that mm-hmm. you're really just training your body. You're there's no. I had to stop looking at it as a uh as like some sort of like well i need to meet this time i need to do better every time it's like no you just need to finish it you can't yeah Yeah, you just you just have to do it and finish it like it doesn't matter what your Mm -hmm. stats are or anything like that it's not a Mm -mm. you can't compete with yourself because that's i think that's approaching it the wrong way i know some people can do that but but yeah no some people do yeah yeah but you really are just like training your body and it sounds like that you're training more and more until you're going to pull a Forrest Gump and you're just never going to stop. <laughs> well, if I could sustain it, I mean, you're on pace. it is very, <laughs> it's very therapeutic. And, um, you know, my family knows that, uh, I don't deal well if I don't do, you know, either my gym or my runs or both, whatever, whatever I have in mind for that day, if that doesn't happen, then not a good day (laughs) i would like to know a little bit more about the mental approach of this of of running Mm -hmm. for me because that it turns out like i think most people will find out if they start running you know whether it be for fun or for an app or to get in shape or anything like that i think they'll find out after they do it a few times that they can do it and that they physically can do it it's just the mental thing and i can't imagine when you're running for a 24-hour period how freaking bored you must get like (laughs) Do you run out well, of stuff could. to think about or what? <laughs> well, the the beauty of trail racing is the community. The trail racing community is amazing. It's it's just truly the people who are involved in this. Um, it's a passion for those who do it. And so I have made so many friends. And there, I think they capped that race at like 200 people. And I knew, I mean to know 100 people it was crazy how many people i knew and had run with before and um and if you don't know them you'll get to know them running 24 laps over and over and so i always had somebody to talk to i really wasn't alone very much some of the night runs i was alone because not as many people ran at night so those but i was kind of okay with that it was really nice it was a very clear night so there were stars and the moon and and i just kind of enjoyed some of the the peacefulness of it but it was cool because I got to run with people I don't normally get to run with, people who are maybe faster than me, were slowing their pace because they were, you know, trying to sustain all 24. And so they, so I got to run with people I don't usually get to and get to talk to people. I met new people. And um, so I, if I was running alone, yes, I'm sure that I would have been very bored and I'm not sure if I could have done it. Having that community there was huge. And so many people who were you know, cheering for you and, Mm. hey, Tara, what lap are you on? You know, and, you know, have you done them all? And yeah, I've done them all. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Keep going. You know, people just pushing other people. And that sort of is, um, that's that community. So I never got bored because I was always talking. (laughs) There was always somebody to talk to. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. And I bet that does make it easier. And I've I've actually not really enjoyed that luxury of running with other people. Um, I don't, you know, I've just been I've kind of started the hobby sort of on my own and with some friends at work and we live in different neighborhoods and we kind of practice, mm-hmm. we have our own little routes. Um, and because of COVID, it's not really uh, all yeah. that easy to get close to people. But I, I think mm-hmm. that's something that I might consider at some point because I, I, it's not something I've even thought about doing. And and to some degree, I kind of look forward to running in a way to, to kind of be alone. Sure, um, there's yeah. sometimes where I kind of like, you know, it's sort of a meditation. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I should I should actually try the the companion run. The the issue being that you know knowing myself and the people I know who are just getting into running, there's no way we could eke out a word while trying to breathe going up a hill, much less have a conversation. <laughs> but um, it it could well, st- maybe it'll get it there. Great. It really does make a great training because um, I didn't used to run with people. When I started, I was completely on my own. Um, but what I found was like. Alex was talking about how he's always trying to beat his pace and, you know, you become, you can become very focused on stats and are you getting better? And the only way you see yourself as getting better is if your distance goes up or your time, you know, goes down. Like that's what you start to focus on and um, running with others, the focus completely shifts. And so you're training that body, but you're, you're, you're forced not to focus on it because it doesn't matter because you can all slow down so that you can talk and you can all, enjoy the company and 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 trust me it's it is training and actually i mean in a lot of ways it's better to train slower it's especially if you're doing longer runs it's it's much better for your body it's teaching your body to consume your body's fat as opposed to using your carbohydrate stores and there's a lot of benefits to slowing down your run and if you run with friends it often forces you to do that so it it really Mm. does have a lot of benefits interesting interesting yeah, because yeah. I, I do get a little carried away with like running, you know, going faster, getting my pace up. I want mm-hmm. to eventually get a mile under 10 minutes and that sort of thing. Running with other people introduces like a whole new set of variables where it's like... It does. I, I almost feel like I need to prepare things to talk about beforehand. <laughs> instead like a of, podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have like a, an outline I go by. Instead of, you know, as it is right now, I'm just listening to music and it's like... And a song from Ozzy will come on and I'll be like, all right, well, I was, I think I was 11 when I first heard this song. Uh, it used to play on this radio station. Uh, I'm like coming, trying to come up with like trivial facts just to keep my mind entertained while I'm pushing myself yeah. forward. And that's getting old. So yeah, I'm, that, yeah. I'm just running through the same boring <laughs> trivia basically. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I'm going to have to drag uh, my girlfriend along. And see if yes, absolutely. See if she, I mean, she used to run uh, quite a bit, and then, you know, like life gets in the way and that sort of thing. So yeah, so that's a does. good that's that's a good uh, pick me up right there. She mm-hmm. can maybe drive beside you in an ambulance and just talk to you out the window, <laughs> just in case, just in case it all goes south. I want to go back a little bit to the Pemberton Twenty Four. There's still a lot of things about it that that mm-hmm. are very mysterious to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's so a mysterious you, situation. Yeah, I'm just full of questions. So <laughs> again, you, every every hour on the hour, they mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just imagining there's a guy shooting a gun off, but it's probably not like that. So you're expected. <laughs> everyone starts. Everyone starts running, and everyone finishes at different times. Yeah, and your times mm-hmm. are going to fluctuate as you go. Oh, like yes. maybe when you're starting out, you're you're maybe finishing before the the half hour mark. Maybe mm-hmm. as the night goes, you're slowing down. And but the problem is, you go slower. You have less rest before the next one. How did, did you, did you try to consciously predict that, what you were going to do, how you were, when you were going to eat, when you were going to use the restroom, if you could, I mean, there's no naps. Did you get stiff in between? Like, how did all that work? Yes. So your pace does fluctuate. Um, my first couple of 5Ks were entirely too fast for trying to sustain 24, but I didn't go into this with a very clear plan of, I'm definitely doing 24. I went into this with, I'm going to do as much as my body is going to allow. If I feel that my body is telling me to stop, then I'm going to stop because my big race, again, is this 50 miler. This is like, that's my goal. 
So I'm not going to get injured preparing for my goal. That's stupid. So I just figured I would go and and see what my body allowed. As long as it felt good, I would keep going. So, um, but my first couple were, were, you know, not, they weren't anything record breaking, but if you're going to do that many miles, they were probably too fast for me. So I had quite a bit of time. I came back, I, you know, ate and was able to go to the bathroom and hang out and sit down for a few minutes. And, um, as the night went on, uh, and the woods got much darker and I got much more fatigued, it slowed down just because I didn't want to trip and fall. I did fall. I fell on lap three, which Ooh. was just horrific. And I just to clarify, is, is each lap a 5k? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. yep. So yeah, my third one in, I, and I felt bad. I mean, there was, it was, <laughs> it was really bad and it was a lot of pain. So I thought, well, that's it. This is probably it for me. <laughs> um, wow. But I managed to kind of get up and walk it off and then start kind of trotting and stuff. So my night runs became uh, slower because I was fearful of falling again. Sometime in the early morning, like I said, my friend Justin, um, he kind of had a plan in his mind of what he was going to do in order to accomplish these 24, the, the all 24. And um, he was like, let's just do 24. And so we kind of just naturally started running together and we sort of had a strategy, (laughs) if you will, of when we wanted to get that lap done. We wanted just enough time to eat and go to the bathroom if we had to, but not really to sit down. It became very difficult midday, later in the day to sit down and then get back up and start again. So we really didn't want to. (laughs) So we tried um, to slow our pace so that we were only having... Um, some of those later ones, we might have had 13 minutes when we came in. So that would be a 5K in what, like 47 minutes or something. Wow. And then you just have to start right back up again. That's Yeah. So That has that, to be mentally draining at that point, too. It was. I remember we started, um, I think, lap 21. So I had four laps left as I was starting this lap. And, um, you know, I said, I said, can't I? <laughs> I just want to run 12 miles. Just let me run 12 miles and be done. Um, the stopping was, it just became very difficult to stop and then to start back up again. It was mentally hard. It was physically hard. Your, your muscles start to seize and you feel everything when you stop. And then especially when you start again, I just felt like not this again. So we sort of had a system where we would ease into the first mile and just kind of, we even several of ours, we took off from start at a walk just like sort of a power hike. It was more my joints started hurting my, my knees and stuff. So um, then we would just kind of ease into the run. And then there were spots that were great straightaways and things. And so we would run there and sort of make up our times. You mentioned injuries and joints and all that fun stuff. Um, it took mm-hmm. it took me personally a little while to realize like, oh, I should probably have actual running shoes instead of my regular <laughs> yes. yeah shoes. Um, and I ended up getting a nagging foot problem because of that um that's uh still flares up every once in a while but what i ended up learning though uh through my handy dandy app i learned to trust my form more than anything else Mm -hmm. i had no idea you know i i was stupidly you know when i run i run like the t1000 where I'm like head down and like my arms <laughs> pumping and stuff like that. It's like, and oh. <laughs> after a while, I was like, oh, no wonder I, I run out of gas after like, you know, yeah. 0.15 miles because <laughs> I'm exhausted because I'm, I'm using, you know, I'm not using my whole body to run. I'm just sprinting basically. So, 
so I found that I was trusting your form once you get that going, landing on the middle of your foot, relaxing your shoulders and all that stuff. Have you found anything that helps you prevent injury that's along those lines? Um, well, definitely for me, what was key was strength training. That's mm. been because in order to have good form, the first thing you need is a really strong core because mm -hmm. your core is where everything, you know, everything comes off the core. So if your core is strong, you can maintain form for a longer period of time. So as you fatigue, you're naturally going to hunch. That head's going to go down. You're going to lean forward. All of these things are going to happen as you fatigue. But the stronger your core is, the longer you can maintain the good form that allows for your lungs to fill all the way, those type of things. Um, so for me, strength training has been huge for... Um, you know, not getting injured too much. I've had one, I've only had one injury. Um, you know, it did sign sideline me for a bit, but, um, so that's been key. And, uh, also, and it sounds, um, I don't know, I, I go to a chiropractor and I go to a massage therapist, uh, regularly. And, um, it, you know, when you tell people you get a massage regularly, I guess that sounds a bit, I guess maybe maybe people wouldn't understand, but it's not like a massage where you go to the day spa and it's very peaceful and relaxing. They play nice music. It's therapeutic. And I, I see someone who specializes in sports, um, injury prevention, uh, injury, like uh, helping to heal injury, those type of things, because that really is key. If you're not helping <laughs> right. your muscles, if you're not uh, flushing all the bad stuff out, if you're not helping them to... Um, grow and, and to, mm -hmm. to heal properly, then you're going to have a lot of issues. When I first started seeing a massage therapist, I tried cupping, which I don't know if you know what that is. Again, it might sound kind of hokey. And I thought it was, I was like, this is complete nonsense, <laughs> but it's, it really worked. It, it involves pulling old blood out of your muscles when they, so when they regrow together, when they heal and they, they grow together, if there's blood trapped in there, they, they kind of are lumpy and it's uncomfortable and you get knots and those type of things. Anyway, so I went uh, when I was injured and started this and it made a huge difference for me. Hmm. So that's another thing that I do to really help uh, with injury prevention is is do those things regularly. Right. So the, the point is with the massages is that you're not going there to listen to Yanni and no. John Tesh. No, and it's very get the... <laughs> painful is what it is. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I've had nice, soothing, wonderful massages on vacation and stuff. It is not that. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that leads us to our next question, though, where um, another issue uh, I think that Trav and I both have is with eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't eat the right things, no. you know, before or after. Do you have any recommendations food wise for when you run? Mm. So that is huge, too. Um, nutrition is especially if you want to do something endurance related, if you if you want to. Um, I mean, so your body pretty much can can go for roughly two to three hours on your carbohydrate stores if you eat enough carbohydrates. But um, anything longer than that, and it has to burn other things, even if you're replacing your carbs by eating things on course. So for me, I'm a big believer in eating real food, um, even to fuel running. I, I eat gels sometimes, and I, I have some... Um, drinks. I, I don't like Gatorade per se, but I do have things that I uh, use that are just easy because I'm running. But before a run and during Pemberton, I mean, I ate, I can't even tell you all the things. I ate five sandwiches. I ate apples, clementines, 
I ate nuts. I ate, oh, they had broth. So I ate broth. I ate ramen. I ate, I mean, I ate a lot of food um, because I had to, because I was burning so many calories and you have to replace that if you want to keep going. Um, but most of what I ate was real food. I don't think I had any gels. I don't think I had any electrolyte drinks. I don't think I had any like gummies. I think everything I ate that, that for that event was real food. So I'm a big believer in real food. And, um, but it, it's kind of up to each person to determine what their body does well on. Um, before a long run, I always eat pretty much the same thing. I eat egg whites and some sort of fruit because that's, that's good protein. That's going to keep me feeling full. It's going to give me the things I need. The fruit gives me the quick energy, the carbs that are ready to go. Um, so that's my, my normal go-to. Um, but definitely one of the things that I think a lot of people they don't do is they don't eat enough. And you may look at what you eat and think I eat all the time or, you know, but it's enough of the right things, you know, um, eating enough real food, real protein, your, your body probably needs more protein and more carbohydrates than you give it. It's pretty common in, in the U S you hear a lot about low carb and everybody's trying to eat paleo or, um, you know, yeah. restrictive of the carbs and such. But if you want to run, your body needs those things. Um, some people mm -hmm. do it. I just, I'm a big believer in eating everything. <laughs> I really do. I eat everything. My carbs, like I try to get about 300 carbs a day, grams of carbs, which is really high. Sounds probably very high, but I'm a female. So, and my age comes into play and, um, that's what works for me. So especially prior to an event, I don't eat like that all the time, but pre preparing for an event such as, uh, the festival of five Ks, that is what I try to do anyway. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it is, it's just a, a mentality thing too, because even like, you know, the way you're describing the food and the way you're talking about the food, I'm like, okay, I need to get there because like, even when you said you eat 300 carbs in preparation, I was like, that's not even a whole bag of Doritos. Like that—that's already against me. I'm already like, I'm, I'm already thinking about carbs as junk food. So like, it, right. it is so like when a, I it, say it, carbs, <laughs> what I mean is uh, rice, potatoes. Sweet potatoes are great. They're very high carb. They have other really good things that you want in there, um, like quinoa. So grains, whole grain breads. I used to make my own bread, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> And I, you know, this is all ideally, this is what I like to do. It doesn't always happen, you know, and uh, COVID, it's been a show over here. I've eaten more Oreos and ice cream <laughs> than anything else, I think. So now we're talking. That's yeah. definitely, I'm, I'm a fan of all of that. Um, just you in preparation. It, you, you heard her say it, Alex, you can now eat Oreos before you go run. <laughs> that's kind of what she just said. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> what I said. Eat Oreos. That's all you need. <laughs> so I, we've talked a little bit about the physicality part and, the, and, the, and the, the emotional and the mental part during the race. But what's it like, you know, especially in the Pemberton 24, obviously you're very, you're dog tired, you're sore mm -hmm. in the moment. What's it like hours later, days later? Does it take a long time before you recover? Do you notice that you just did that three, four days down the road? Um, what I noticed was a lot of brain fog, actually. I um, I really did have cognitive issues, which probably isn't good because I'm a teacher. So I don't know. That was maybe an issue. But 
I, I did notice that I just felt slower processing things. You know, the kids would ask me questions and it just took me several moments to really think through things that lasted maybe, maybe three or four days, I guess. Physically, I was definitely more tired. I mean, I slept, I, you know, I was ready for bed by, by like nine o'clock. And if I didn't set an alarm, I could have slept much later than I normally do. Um, physically, I, so I didn't do anything except walk until the following Saturday. So one week later, I ran again. And I will say what I noticed was mile one, mile two, I felt really tired. Like I felt tired like I'd already been running for 10 or 15 miles, you know, um, on mile one or two. But then by the end of that, that was a 10 mile run. And by the end of it, I felt pretty good again. But I just noticed that my runs thereafter, a couple of, you know, for the next couple of runs, I just felt more fatigued than I normally would have. I guess mentally, like I came home, I drove, they, they drove me. <laughs> Somebody drove me. I didn't drive home um, because, like I said, I'm surprised you didn't run home. Knowing you. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> somebody drove me home, and I got here, and um, I couldn't go to sleep. I mean, I had been awake at that point. That was eleven o'clock Saturday night. I had been up since seven a.m. Friday morning. So anyway, whatever the hours worked out to be, I just couldn't sleep because I was all the adrenaline, the endorphins, everything was just crazy. So I did have a hard time sleeping that night. But then after that passed, I felt better and I could sleep again. Yeah, I bet. Jeez. So you mentioned to me um, in the in the emails that we exchanged that you had started your own event mm, with mm-hmm. uh, with your with your group, and mm-hmm. um, also you mentioned I think uh, Team Three Hundred and Sixty. Can you talk about what those things are? Sure. So um, some friends of mine and I we trained, uh, like I said, for our first fifty uh, k together. We trained together. There are woods about five minutes from my house. It's Tuckahoe State Park. And um, we trained in those woods for this 50K. And the whole time we were training, we thought, you know, this would be such a great place to host a race. This would be just a fabulous place for a race. So we ran Algonquin, which is the 50K that I was talking about. And um, the race director of that particular event is, um, (laughs) I don't know what word I wanna use to describe him. He's wonderful. Uh, he, he calls himself <laughs> and everyone calls him the race dictator instead of director because he's very, oh. um, I guess he can be abrupt or he can, he, but what he does is, for example, before Pemberton 24, he told me that I, my legs would be shredded and I wouldn't be able to do very many loops and there was no way I'd even get to 20. And so these nice. are the things he tells me. So just to give you an idea, I guess, of the type of personality he has. But um, so my friends and I would go, we do this 50K, we have a great time. We are literally the last ones in the parking lot. Like he is there picking up trash and there we all sit all happy with ourselves for running this 50K. And, you know, we start talking and we're like, and we kind of knew him him, um, on the peripheral, but had never sat down and talked to him. And we said, you know, we're from here and we trained at Tuckahoe, which he knew because there's a a group page and we are always posting when we're training, et cetera. So we were like, we would love to do a race at Tuckahoe. And he's like, Oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. I've always wanted to do a race out there. And so we start talking to him and lo and behold, the, 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 the Tuckahoe 25 K is born. And uh, yeah, so this is our second year coming up. November 7th will be our second year of this race. And it's been amazing. We have 255 runners registered 
and we have all of our state approval um even with covid we have all of our regulations and everything approved um so we're we're good to go unless the state has some crazy spike that is just unpredictable or whatever but um so yes yeah, so and and our goal in doing that we you know we finished this 50k and so many people were like oh i could never do that i can't i couldn't do that i couldn't do that and i think a lot of us were like but you can you really can if if you want to you definitely can so we convinced i can't even tell you how many people who didn't run at all or you know maybe had run a 5k some probably hadn't ran any races we convinced them to sign up for this thing and um it's a 25k which is about 15 and a half miles in the woods and um so then we we were like okay well now we got them signed up so then we started hosting trainings to get them comfortable with doing it so all of the people that we convinced to sign up for this did finish within it's a 4 hour cutoff and they all finished you know not everybody finished but everybody we convinced you know that they could do it they right. did do it and so that was just it was so much fun to see and, and how much time was it from signing them up to the, to the race how much time did they have to mentally and physically prepare for this so that year sign up was on mother's day it was like our race director told us it was our mother's day gift so uh <laughs> sign up was on mother's day and um the race that year was like november 2nd last year i think it was like november 2nd so may till november basically is what we had okay um and then you asked about team 360 which um, is another amazing and super cool um, organization that I get to be a part of. It is an organization. So Team 360 itself has existed. Uh, this is where in our second year of existence. Prior to this, um, I was affiliated with a, a very similar organization called Athletes Serving Athletes. Um, I became part of it because my goddaughter has cerebral palsy. So she uh, does not walk independent. And uh, she's she participated in mainstream sporting events with this organization and she knew that I ran. So, you know, she told her mom, she was like, ask Aunt Tara to run with me. I was like, sure. So I signed up for this organization. And what we do is we uh, allow athletes to participate in mainstream sporting events that they would not be able to do unassisted. So, and we meet our mm. athletes wherever they are. Some of our athletes are non-mobile on their own. So we will push them in specialized joggers that are designed for doing this um, if we do triathlons we have boats that they get pulled in or we can uh we put a hitch on our bikes and we tow them um in a tret and some of them are able to pedal also some of them are not so they do whatever they can do some of them have um a piece of equipment called a race runner where they literally are propelling themselves the entire time they just have someone with them if they needed anything um, we have some athletes who compete in their own racing wheelchairs and we just, you know, are with them if they needed it for anything, but they completely complete the entire course independent of any um, help from us, no pushing or pulling or anything like that. So we really do whatever our athlete needs in order to be able to compete because sometimes race directors, um, they want to be inclusive of all but they have to be aware of safety precautions or things like that. So right. our organization can come in and, you know, be alongside them and um, ensure that if there's something they need, we take care of that. And um, I've done a full marathon with an athlete and that was a pretty wow. incredible experience. Actually, that's my all time favorite 
I'm probably still going to cry if I talk about it. That was my all-time favorite marathon. That's really cool. Yeah. So, and that um, that individual, we uh, we were able to push her for most of it, um, but then she crossed finish under her own power, which was just, this is why oh. I get all choked up. <laughs> um, That's really it was cool. really, really an amazing um, experience and something really cool to be a part of. So, Man, good for you. Right That's on. really yeah. cool. I'm really glad I asked about that too, because I wasn't, I wasn't really sure what it was. And I've gone to the website here and looked through, and yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, Thanks for being a, a part of that. That's cool. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, this year, because um, especially because some of our um, athletes are you know medically fragile or just not able, they COVID would be devastating to that household. Yeah. You know, to a lot of them. So we have not really done anything with our athletes this mm. year, and that's been they miss it terribly you know for some of them this is just it's where all their friends are you know and yeah it's where my friends are and so we've really been missing it this year it's been really tough right right well hopefully soon uh, everyone can get back out there and enjoy company and fresh air um yes. alex do you have anything else before we kick off into some listener questions here no i think we got some good listener questions that uh, have to do with running here that we got from our uh discord yeah before I do that, I also want to shout out you. We, you know, we our our listeners here usually get some gaming tangential uh, <laughs> uh, news out of this, but also I wanted to shout out your your husband who goes by Duke, who who mm -hmm. has a podcast with our friend Chris Retro mm -hmm. Nonsense, and, then, and he has a really good YouTube channel. So I wanted to make sure that people are aware that uh, <laughs> you're no stranger to the video games. Your household no. is, is certainly full no. of them. And, uh, you know, you're not just here because you run, you're here because you're, you're also a friend of mine through the Cartridge Club. So mm -hmm. I wanted to call all of that out before we get here to these listener questions. Uh, the first one here is from Michelle, who, uh, is, she's a big friend of the show. She has her, her own podcast now called Petey's Power Hour. She says, uh, I am a moderate runner who tries to run three or four times a week. The most challenging aspect is keeping up with motivation, motivation and staying consistent. Uh, do you have any tips? To keep up your motivation, what is your favorite post-big run celebration meal or beverage? So a couple okay. questions there. Okay. So um, I'm going to start with food <laughs> because that's my favorite. What I will say is every long run has to have coffee at the end. It can be iced. It can be hot. It doesn't hmm. matter. But every long run has to have coffee at the end. I'm not sure why. It's a thing that I do, though, and uh, I have to do it. I It's... I don't know. It's just a weird okay. thing that I have to do. And my probably food wise though, pancakes, if I can get some pancakes, it's probably not the best thing to refuel with, but that's good after a run. Hey, it's a I celebration. Don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's a celebration, then that's, that's a good thing. I will say after Pemberton, just so everyone's aware, I had a Whopper. That was my meal <laughs> on the way home because that's what was open at whatever time of night that was. Right. Yeah. So motivation. Um, for me, that's tough. I, I I usually don't struggle with it too much. And again, I feel like part of that is the social part because um, I balance running solo with running with other people. So I look forward to runs when I get to be with people and I get to talk to my friends and, uh, you know, especially if I'm going to the woods, that's one of my favorite. That also keeps me So. I think for me, variety, I guess, is what I will say, keeps my motivation up. Some runs are alone on the road. Some runs are alone in the woods. Some are with friends in either place. And so it's never the same. I never feel that it's monotonous or it's boring. If you ever, if you've not tried trail running, I highly recommend it. It's completely different. I mean, 
completely different. I went into my first ever trail race thinking it was like running on the road. And that led to complete embarrassment. And uh, it was a disaster. I was, it was, oh, it was horrific. I just didn't know, you know, I didn't know. Um, But mentally, it's very, very different. There's so much to focus on so that you don't fall or trip or it's just very stimulating. So it's much less monotonous and boring. So I would say maybe changing things up, running with people, Mm. changing where you run, drastically changing where you run, maybe especially like your weekends, if you have time to go somewhere completely different. That for me is key. I think that's what keeps me motivated is the um, variety. And if you're meeting people, you're not going to not meet them. You know, if somebody's counting on you to be there, you're going to be there. So right on. Thanks, Michelle, for the question. Uh, Pam wants to know, have uh, you played any kind of fitness games like Ring Fit or Wii Sports or are they too amateurish? I think they're amateurish. I um, honestly, I, well, I guess when the Wii's, when Wii's, the original Wii was new, yeah, we did. We played Wii Sports and we had a really good time with it. Um, so I don't think of any of them as amateurish. I don't know the first one you mentioned. I don't know. That's how, see, I'm rather, I'm showing my video gaming, you know, stupidity here. <laughs> the, I don't know that one. The <laughs> I Ring don't know Fit that thing is like some weird like adventure game for Nintendo Switch. Um, See, and I I'm have not, a Switch. And that's yeah, me, I don't even know this. I, I, I don't know it too well either. I don't have a Switch, but Trav, do you know what it is? I do. I actually own Ring Fit. It's it's pretty cool. You have like this band that gives you resistance and it um it, it acts like an RPG and okay. you, you venture through and you, you have to like fight bosses by doing so many crunches and stuff and it's very engaging and yeah it's 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 a good way to marry video sounds, games to fitness i was gonna say i think i could handle that that sounds like a good time i don't know why i've not heard of this probably because nobody else in my house <laughs> i only get to like i get my in, my info from them so if it's not on their radar it doesn't make it onto mine fair enough but um no i wouldn't consider them amateurish i i would think it's a good time yeah yeah you should check it out um, and our last question here is from Jeffrey. Uh, mm-hmm. He says, uh, since ultra marathons can vary in length, and I guess he's talking about just all you know long races, uh, they all vary in length and the courses are all different. Uh, how do you judge whether you're happy with a result? Is it pace or how mm-hmm. you felt or just being able to finish? Uh, what's sort of the goal there and how do you measure yourself to each of these things? Yeah, that is, um, that, that's a good question because... It is difficult. So my first ever 50K, so an ultra is considered anything that's past a marathon. A marathon's 26.2. So an ultra is considered anything beyond that. Um, so my first ever 50K was my first ultra. And um, I measured success by finishing. <laughs> that was my goal was to finish. I ran that same race the following year. And my goal was to come in in under six hours. The first year, I think I took like six 40 or so, uh, six and a half. I don't know, something like that. So my goal was to, to come in and under six, which I did. So, um, that was my new goal. And that was what I, you know, measured success by my 50 miler. It's the first time at the distance. So I think I'm back to finishing. I mean, I have an idea of what I think I should finish in, but I won't be upset if I take longer than that you know, and especially if I feel good doing it, that's key too. I, I, I've had races. I've had, uh, I had a horrible marathon once and, um, it was, it was my personal worst time, but for me, it wasn't a worst because it was the worst time. It just was, 
it was an awful race. It just, it was awful. I hated the race. I hate it. I felt bad. I think I was dehydrated. It was just a terrible experience. So to me, I look at that race as unsuccessful, even though I finished. And even though I finished in what some would think was a decent time, I just, it wasn't what I can, it just wasn't what I wanted. So, um, right. So, so it just depends a lot on the, yeah. Kind of how you feel then, I guess. And maybe yeah. each time you do a new distance, it's about finishing. And if you do that distance over again, it's about finishing better than you did before. So Right. And that's always on the same course. Like you can't compare. So, for example, I'm going to California. I'm going to be doing a 50K in California. So the 50K here on completely flat land, you get an eight-hour cutoff. The 50K in California, because of the elevation gain, I think we have a 13-hour cutoff. So I don't expect <laughs> to finish that 50K in under six hours because that's a huge difference. You know, that, that right. elevation is gonna. So you, you have to, you could only ever, I think, compare the same course to the same course. I don't think I could ever compare um, distances even on different courses, right. if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was it for listener questions. And thanks for those very thoughtful answers and for giving us a lot of answers. I know maybe you're not often interviewed like this about running, but it was no, interesting I, to me. I, all I had to do was see a tweet and I was like, I have easily an hour's worth of questions. For oh, this my moment, gosh. So. Well, I could talk for you don't even want to know. Oh, it would be bad forever. <laughs> because I, well, not only do I like to do it, but I like to research it and I like to... I just like to find out everything I can. Well, that's part of the fun. Mm -hmm. It is for me. Yeah, and uh, certainly, hopefully, hopefully one day we'll get to meet again at MAGFest or something. Oh, and, yes. and I can just ask you more questions in person. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on, Tara. Really yeah. do appreciate it. Is there any way, like, do you want to shout out, uh, you know, the Retro Nonsense YouTube channel or your, or your Twitter or anything like that? Um, you don't have to follow me on Twitter. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, but I don't, I'm not on Twitter very much, but... Um, so Duke's new um, podcast is the Retro Nonsense Podcast, and uh, he's doing that with Chris Roberts. And so there, the next episode is coming out in October, and I hear it's going to be well. I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to say. I don't know if he's put it out there what it is, but I, <laughs> I think it's going to be a good one. How about that? I'll just say I think it's going to be a good there you one. Go. So that definitely, uh, you should check that out. There you go. And this is this is the Chris Roberts of Vice.com fame who has way too many uh, Mario Duck Hunt cartridges. So <laughs> I know. You sent him a bunch more, too, I think. He came that's... home the other day and he had a bunch and he said they were for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciated it. And um, I guess we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right, that has been another Drunk Friend podcast. As always, you can reach out to us with questions or comments at drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com. We might even read it out here on the show. You never know. And if you want to hear more podcasts from our crew, check out polykill.com and poke around. And hey, if email isn't your thing, uh, no big deal. But if you'd still like to contribute, a rating and review on a podcast app of your choice would help us out big time big time you can find us all on social media i'm on twitter at trav plays games alex is of course at snescrum and as always we want to give our usual shout out to the show's theme composed by our friend coolor the track you hear is called electric Starbounce, and you can find a link to more of his music on the buzzsprout pod podcast page we also want to thank josh <laughs> leslie for our thirst quenching logo as well all right be sure to catch us all on youtube and thanks for listening and we hope you have a great rest of your day cheers